chapter 24. Hopefully you got your notes out and got a pen. There's a few fill in the blanks today. Maybe it would encourage uh, people to follow along a little more. I've kind of gone that route the last few Sundays. Matthew chapter 23. I think I, I kind of looked ahead, and uh, I think uh, the first Sunday in April, we'll probably start Matthew chapter 24. Uh, so we'll, we'll be in uh, chapter 23 for the rest of the month and, and uh, for most of the month of March as we finish up the woes and uh, get on with the completion of the chapter. So today's title, as we look at the, the uh, king and the eight woes, woe number four is plotting for profit. Uh, you know if the religious leaders are pro- plotting for profit, <laughs> it's not good, uh, or for gain or whatever the case may be. But as I looked at uh, this, this sermon this week, and uh, it's, it's pretty difficult uh, because he's talking about oaths, so it's all about oaths, and it's all about making oaths, but you kind of got to look at the bigger picture to see that really it's a continuation of what the, all of these woes are kind of... Uh, towards being this. Uh, Listen to me carefully. You don't need leaders in the church that are greedy, and you don't need leaders in the church who are uh, out to be seen. Two things. Don't need to be greedy. They don't need to be people that are out to be seen. So that's kind of what we're looking at this week. The first 12 uh, verses that we looked at, uh, Jesus told us to look at the scribes and look at the Pharisees and, and, and to pay attention to their doctrine, but don't do what they practice. Don't follow their example. Now, that's another bad place for a church to be, that uh, the people might tell, might tell the church, uh, I want you to do what I say and what I teach you, but don't follow my examples. That's not the place that the church wants to be. So verses 13 through 33 are about eight pronounce woes against the scribes and the Pharisees, the political leaders, for their blindness and their hypocrisy. So we're in four. There are eight of them. We'll move forward after this morning. And he also in this chapter prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem. So in Matthew, there are eight woes and they're addressed to religious leaders. So Now, I I just want you to understand this. If Jesus had to address the religious leaders in that day and time, shouldn't it be a warning to us today that religious leaders in the church are susceptible to becoming hypocrites and greedy and uh, just not the godly men that they should be? So it's, it's, it's something that the church need to watch for today. Last week we looked at a woe is a lament of wailing for the final end of an evil people. Woe for those religious leaders who are lost and who are not not going to be saved. Woe for them for the punishment they'll face. So here we have the charges the Lord Jesus levels against the teachers of the Jews. That's what we're looking at. Scribes and Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of that day. Just as pastors, uh, elders would be in the church today. So Jesus was standing in the temple last week and he looked out at those people. He had had all the common people with him 
and now he's got the leadership there. And there's three things we looked at. You got a little fill in the blank here so you can follow along, kind of get your mind back on the woes. The first thing he said is making salvation hard for the people. He said, you're not going into the kingdom of God and you're making the people, making it hard for people to go into the kingdom of God. Number two, by deception, they were taking advantage of widows. They were, they, were, they were looking good. They were praying good to get the women involved that they might take their estates away from them. And number three, they corrupted converts. And I really have a struggle using converts because when I think about a convert, it's someone that has been converted from going their own way to, to following God. So becoming a follower of Jesus. So I really like the word... I really like the word proselytes there. And maybe I should have put that. So corrupting the proselytes. Proselytes are people who have, have began to follow someone else's opinion. But what was, what's happening in the world today? What was happening then? They weren't going into the kingdom of God. They were teaching them a bunch of do's and don'ts, teaching them a, a bunch of works. And because they were going to depend upon their works, they became twice the child of the devil and probably weren't going to get into the kingdom of God. And that's, that's really what we looked at last week. That's what this little tract talks about. People who are putting their trust and confidence in something other than the Lord Jesus Christ, church membership, being good, doing good things, are probably a twice a child of the devil and probably will never be saved because they're trusting their salvation to what they've done. It's a terrible thing to allow people or to in, encourage people to trust in anything other than Christ for their salvation. We don't want to do that. And it's happening. It's happening in America, evangelical churches, every day that people are told to come forward, say a prayer, and get baptized. They're being, they're being Christianed and they're being told they're saved. And most of them aren't. Most of them have never experienced a change of life. They're not followers of Jesus. They have no interest in God's Word. They're just marginally associated with the church. And the comment from, uh, I forget which one now, uh, likely... Likely, it was the article we had last week. It's a terrible thing for someone, listen to me closely, you that are sitting in the church this morning, it's a terrible thing to go to hell through the church. Church membership does not save. So this morning, Jesus reveals what all the false doctrine and traditions are about. This, this whole scenario with the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, the woes is this. They were in it for personal gain. If we're into, quote, working in the church for personal gain, we're wrong. The preacher included. We're wrong. It's a calling. When we swear by any person this morning or thing... We do two things. Now, we looked at chapter 5 when we were in the Beatitudes, and we looked at uh, 
at, at swearing and oaths. We'll look at it just a little bit this morning. But I want you to realize that when you swear by any person or anything, there's two things that you're doing. First of all, when we have, just think about the times in your life that you've said, said that word, I swear. You, you know what I'm talking about? You, you hear people say that. I, you're in desperation, really, and that's the fill in the blank. You are desperate. You are desperate when you make an oath. You're desperate. Number two, when we call upon a person or thing and make an oath to them, we're calling upon that person or thing to be our judge. Right? If I make an oath in somebody's name, I'm saying, and if I don't do it, that person has the right to judge me. We don't want any other judge except who? God alone. So making oaths are not a wise thing to do. So, the Scripture teaches us that if you are going to make an oath, there is only one to make an oath to. You ready for the Scripture? Uh, it's Deuteronomy 6, 13 and 20. You don't have the whole Scripture. I'm going to read them to you. You can look them up if you want to. It is the Lord your God you shall fear... Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. Now listen, oaths, swearing usually, for the Pharisees in particular, was a light thing. They just did it out of gist. They weren't really serious about it. But I want to tell you, if you make an oath to the Lord, you better be serious about it. Deuteronomy 10, 20 says, You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. And by His name you shall swear. So does the law tell us that if you're going to swear, there's the one to swear to? It does. But, serious, but swearing is a serious thing, making an oath. Now, the next fill in the blank, to swear to an other, to another, other than God, would be blatant idolatry. Because the only one you're to swear to is who? God. So if you swear to another, they have become an idol. You see that? Be careful with your swearing. By the gold of the temple is not talking of the gold used in the building of the temple. They used lots of gold in building the temple, amen? It is talking of the gold brought there as an offering. It'd be like the money that's brought here. Jesus teaches that the temple is much greater than the offering. Amen? The, that, because that represents what? The presence of Almighty God. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't swear to something that was brought to the temple. The temple is greater than the gift that is brought. And, and that the altar that is offered is much greater than the gift. So they were swearing by the gifts. They were swearing by the gold which weren't near as important as the altar and the temple itself. Now, the gold and the gifts, I think about Ananias and Sapphira. The gold and the gifts were not holy until they were brought in. And then the temple and the altar, the presence of God made them holy. They weren't holy until then, and they became gods. Men should not swear. 
But when they do swear, they're bound to the oath. You remember that guy in Judges? You remember he was going out to battle? His name coming to anybody? Who? Jephthah. You remember? He, he had a big battle coming up, right? And he said, God, if you'll just give me, if you'll just give me this victory, when I get back home, the first thing that comes out of the door of my house, I'll offer it up to you. You remember that? Was that a foolish vow? Absolutely. But once he made it, was he obligated to it? He was. So what came out the door of his house? His daughter. Don't make vows foolishly. Don't make vows and not consider them to be serious. The one that swears by the altar swears by it and the things on the altar. When one swears by the temple, he swears by the things in the temple. How foolish it is to swear to things, listen carefully, that have no life, no sense, and no knowledge. No sense, no knowledge. Did you hear that? No life. But we're making vows to those things. It's a foolish thing to do. Jesus says that this reveals that these promote, those promoting this are nothing more than blind guides. Look in verse, uh, look in verse 16. He kind of changes his description of them. This is the first time he's done this. What's he call them? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Look in verse 16. What's he call them? Blind guides. And that's something we're going to look at in the, in the coming weeks. What is a blind guide? And, and you just got to realize when you're flying, following a blind guide, you're probably going to fall into the same hole that they fall in. So you want to be sure you're not following a blind guide. And we'll look at that. Look at Matthew 15. Well, I keep saying look at them because I usually put all the Scripture in it. If you want to look the Scripture up, you can. Matthew 15, 14 says, Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will do what? Fall into a pit. Listen, you don't want to fly, you don't want to follow a blind guide. You want to follow somebody that's following Jesus. You want to follow somebody that's headed to heaven. You want to follow somebody that's on the straight and the narrow path. Did you hear me, church? The Savior here shows the folly of the tradition, and he calls them blind guides. So let's just look a little bit about oaths. What did the law say about oaths? Well, because the Scripture commands God's people to swear by his name, it does not forbid all oaths. But an oath made is serious, and it's only to be made to God. Okay, so... I, I, I and thankfully, I don't remember. I'm sure I have in my lifetime. I probably have used that word, I swear. But, but, but another way that you make an oath is by making promises. You know, you're in a bind, and you tell God, if you will, I will. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We've about all been there. That's an oath. That's foolish. And how many times do those promises get broke 
Because most of the time we're making them out of desperation. <clears throat> Number two, what did the Pharisees say about oaths? Well, they were only concerned with perjury. They didn't want to be backed into a legal corner. They said that some oaths were binding. Other oaths were not binding. So they had their own rules. They used them here in this particular situation for financial gain. Do you see what I'm talking about? What, what, did, they, what did they make oaths to? The gold and the gifts. So what was that telling the people? The gold and the gifts were important. Just bring more. You'll be more blessed. That was what was going on in this situation. What did Paul say about oaths? I'll read these to you. Romans 1, 9 says, he says, Paul says, For God is my witness. You ever heard people say that before? Have you ever said that before? That's really taking an oath. He says in Philippians 1, 8, For God is my witness. But who was he making an oath to? He was making an oath to God. He got that right part right. 2 Corinthians 1, 23, But I call God to witness. 1 Thessalonians 2, 5, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. You probably heard that expression. God is my witness. You probably heard that. Were they using it probably in the proper sense that Paul was? Maybe not. 1 Thessalonians 2.10, it says, You are witnesses. And 1 Thessalonians 5.27 says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. I put you under oath. So Paul used oath. And what did Jesus say about oath? It's pretty condensed. Listen as I read you. Matthew 5, 33 through 37. This is the lawgiver himself. Again, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But here's the words of Jesus. You want, a, you want some good advice? Let what you say simply be yes, yes, and what you say, no, no. In other words, just let what you say speak for itself. When you say, yes, I'm going to do something, do it. When you say, no, I'm not going to do something, stand by it. That's what Jesus says about oaths. So with Matthew 5, through 37, which is back in the Beatitudes and with what we're looking at today, what can we say about oaths? We must be careful in spouting an oath. Do you think when uh, Jephthah saw his daughter come out of that house, he wished he had never said that? You need to be careful. Listen, dads, be careful in making promises. Because once you make a promise to a child, they don't ever forget it. Be careful about spouting an oath. We must be sure we do not reverse an established order or law with an oath. Okay, so 
The temple's more important than the gold. The altar is more important than the gifts. And when they made the gold more important than the temple and the gift more important than the altar, they reversed a, a policy. They, a, they reversed what God had set up, the temple being more important than the gold and the altar being more important than the gifts. So be careful when you make an oath that you don't go against some law of God. I listened to a podcast this week, and, and, and it was really good. And he was talking about all the things that uh, Christians ought to do and, and would be blessed to do. And he kept coming back to one word, obedience. Obedience. What does God really desire from us? Our gifts, our gold, our gifts. What he really de- desires from us is our love and our obedience. We want to be sure we hang tight there. So what have we learned through the first four woes? We have the kingdoms of heaven. We need to go in through the door of Jesus to get into the kingdom of heaven. And we need to encourage others to come in. All right, here we go. We have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Who's he given that to? Church leadership, elders, teachers, pastors. And the key... And the only door to get into the kingdom of heaven is Jesus Christ. There's no other. There's no other way into heaven. There's no gate. There's no windows. There's no other way. The only way to get in is through the door of Jesus. And then once we get in, we need to encourage others to come in. And look, we need to be careful that we don't give them any other alternative as a way to get into heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. It's through repentance. It's through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. So we need to to go in and encourage others to come in. We need to understand from these teachings that some have the propensity to be greedy and have a desire to be seen and considered important. That is some people's propensity. Does it make it right? Not at all. But there's some warnings for the church. Look at 1 Timothy 3.3. 3. You don't have it. I'm going to quit saying that in a week or two. Listen to what 1 Timothy 3.3 3 says, talking about church leadership. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. So what was the problem he was having with scribes and Pharisees back in his time? Greed. To be seen. Wanting to be important. What's the same problems we have today? Same, very same problems. So he says, be sure that in electing leadership that you don't pick somebody that has a love for money. Uh, and I think we read it in the scripture maybe, maybe this week and it kind of came to my mind. Uh, it talked about uh, evidently whoever, the, the, the context and the it's not coming to me really clear, so this is probably a little bit dangerous. But, but pe- people, there's a lot of people that if they have a plot of land, they want the land next to it. And if they have that plot of land, they want the plot next to it, right? And, 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 and is owning land okay? But always being on the lookout for others 
you know, can lead into some dangers, and it can lead into being greedy. And that was, that was spoken out in the Word of God this week. We do not need those in leadership positions who are greedy. We need to be sure that we, we do not take advantage of widows or anyone else for gain. Y'all with me? Okay. Number three, we need to be sure we do not make people a two times worse child of the devil. When we do not give them the true gospel, we allow them into the kingdom of God without their willingness to repent or showing any understanding of having faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross and we accept them into the fellowship of the church and they're not converted, it's a dangerous place for them to be. What does most obituaries say? So-and-so was born on this date, they died on this date, and they were members of Maranatha Baptist Church. That's in most obituaries. People put a whole lot of stock into their church membership. And not one place in the Bible does it say that church membership will get you in the kingdom of heaven. So, Tom and I talk about it. Pablo, we, we've all, we all have this discussion at times. You know, that's why we, we need to see a little sign, amen, that someone's a follower of Jesus before you allow them to have church membership. Because once they become a church member, if they're not followers of Jesus, the statistics in the old timers would say they'll probably never become a follower of Jesus. Because they kind of feel some security where? In the church. Listen. <laughs> this is a no-brainer. There's no spiritual security outside Christ Jesus. Did you hear me? There is no security spiritually at all outside the Lord Jesus Christ, repentance and faith in what Christ Jesus did on the cross. There is no salvation. You have no salvation if the centerpiece of that salvation is not the Lord Jesus Christ, Him crucified, buried, resurrected, enthroned, and ready to come back. Wow, sometimes I stand up here and wonder if you believe me. There is no Christianity without Christ. Unless you have Christ and He has you, you have no Christianity. Now, so why am I so worked up about it, so emphatic about it? Because this is a concern of mine. It's a concern of mine when you see... Uh, Such a large a large section of a large segment of the population living in adultery, living with people that they're not married to, have been for weeks, months, years. They're not under conviction, and yet if you ask them, they'll tell you that they're Christians.
You cannot, no, you cannot live in willful and known and rebellious sin and call yourself a Christian. And I think the preaching of uh, freedom to sin... in the church, from the pulpit, has contributed to that. That scripture that's so clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I mean, it's, it's, it's talking about freedoms that we have. But it's not talking about freedom to live in known and willful sin. Let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. How clear is that? I love the next part. That's who I was. That's who you were. But that's not who you are anymore. And you can't live in that kind of lifestyle and not have conviction that's so unbearable you can't stay in it and cause yourself, call yourself a Christian. All right, we'll move on. We need to give people the true gospel. It calls for repentance and faith. I'm telling you, I've heard it with my own ears. I've heard preachers and counselors at Revival tell people that they can repent later. You're willing to repent because of what Christ did on the cross. If you're not willing to repent, you don't understand what Christ did on the cross and what it cost him. We need to make sure that people have Jesus. We need to make sure that they examine themselves. Listen, and I'll look at moms, and young, I'm looking at moms with kids. And, and you don't need to be judging your kids, but you surely need to be looking at them seriously so you'll know how to pray for them. And somewhere down the road, you know, it might even be the place that a, a mom or a dad has to share with a young person. You know, I, I'm really sorry, Bruce, but I just don't see, I just don't see much Jesus in your life. Because you want to deal with that with your kids while they're here and can still repent. You, you don't want them to find out that ju at judgment time, that they weren't Christians. What have I told you guys over and over again? If you're saved, I can't lose you. But if, you're, if you think you're saved and not, I want you to come to realize it now that you might what? Repent and believe the gospel. Is this the time to, is this the time to find it out? So why does it say examine yourself to make sure you're the faith? Why does it say work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Because, man, it would be a fearful thing to get to judgment 
think you're saved and are not. Is that going to happen? Matthew 7, 21. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, no, uh, no, that's the one before. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that? But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. They showed up at the gates of heaven, religious leaders, scribes, pastors, elders. They said, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And he'll look at them and say, I, I tell you plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Parents, love your kids enough to look for God's grace at their life and pray with them and counsel with them when you don't see much evidence. Are you responsible for them? Am I going to stand at judgment? Is he going to say to me what should have happened with your kids? If I'm their pastor, he may. But you're their parents. Ambition for money, things, and to be seen is almost always connected with hypocrisy. False worship and superstitions are almost always encouraged by coveting and plundering pastors. Once people's minds are perverted, nothing is too absurd. So, what what the scribes and Pharisees were doing about the altar and the gifts and the gold and the temple, they were, they were reversing the real truth about the, the, uh, uh, what was important in the temple. They were reversing that order. Now listen to this. Did, did you know everything that's going on in America right now is reversing the order of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2? And once people in their minds spiritually reverse the established order, let me see if I can get this word right. Once, once they do that, once, once in your mind you have reversed an established order, there's nothing to you that would be absurd. You know what that means? You'll believe anything. That's where we're at. Everything that's going on is an attack and a doing away of the, of the established order set up in Genesis 1 and 2. So then going forward without that order, nothing is too absurd for anybody. Such as making the gold and the gifts more important than the temple and the altar. They made them such in the people's minds so that they bring more gold and more gifts that could be pilfered and plundered. That still happened today? It happens every day in churches across America. Matter of fact, look up uh, the 40, 40 richest, uh, richest pastors in America. And, and No, I tell you what, just look up the 40 richest pastors, preachers in the world. Now, this is going to blow your mind. Do you know where about the top ten are from? Africa. The poorest country. And those people are being pilfered, listen, with a prosperity gospel. And guess where they learned it? 
from America. It happens every day. All of this cheapens the worship of God. The priests and the scribes were not ashamed to cheapen the worship of God. You know why? They didn't know God. They didn't fear God. When the worship of God is cheapened, reverence for, reverence for, and a proper fear of God is destroyed. Again, we see the danger of greed. When we put much emphasis on the gold and the gifts, the temple that represents the place of God is trampled on. The presence of God is trampled upon. In worship, it's so easy to reverse the proper order of things. To honor the worshiper and the gifts and not to honor Almighty God and His Son, Jesus Christ, is reversing the order, established order. Just by its very nature, the temple is more important than the gold and the altar is more important than the altar. And what did he tell us that he desired? Not sacrifices? What did he he say? Obedience. Our love and obedience. So, I'm wrapping this up. Practically speaking, what are we to do with this lesson? Well, let me tell you again, on the surface, it it appears to be about swearing an oath. But the whole set of woes is not about swearing an oath. It's about greed. It's about being seen. It's about being known. So deep down, this lesson is about greed for and the love of money and possessions and to be seen. Now, is money or possessions evil? No. What's the issue? The love of when they become an idol to us. So we need to understand that. But, but, but I want to say it again. But deep down, this, this, this part, this woe, is about greed for and the love of money and possessions and to be seen. That's what the spiritual leaders wanted. That's what they wanted. Now, privately, all of us individually need to be pretty open-handed with what we have. You know what? We need to hold it pretty loosely because they don't need to, they don't, the, uh, we don't want that, we don't want our hands have to be pried open, torn open because we're hanging on to the things of this world. Because the truth is we're not doing what? We're not taking it with us. So we need to be open-handed. In the church, we need to, we need to handle God's money very carefully. Did y'all hear me? Because whose money is it? It, it? Okay, it was yours. Well, I don't know if it was ever mine or yours. But we had possession of it, right? And once we give it to the Lord, it's whose? It's His. We need to handle it carefully. It's not good when greedy scribes and priests can get their hands on the money. Y'all hear me? I mean... 
no one needs to be tempted with money because we're all susceptible to it. Especially church leaders. They, they don't need to be in a position that they can get their hand on the money. It's, it's too big a temptation. It's just like the temptation of, uh, of lording it over uh, women in the church when you're a pastor. There's too much temptation in that. You don't even want to go there because men are susceptible to greed. They're susceptible to, to, to lust and sexual immorality. They need to stay away from that danger. I want to tell you in closing, we've been blessed at Maranatha over the years. And I'm going to talk about some reasons I think God has blessed us financially. Uh, we seldom talk about money. Matter of fact, I'd rather, talk about, I'd rather talk about sin all day long than talking about your money and you giving. I'm just not comfortable with it because I know that I'm, I'm the only one in the church that really benefits from the money that comes in and the salary you pay. I don't like talking about it. Why, why have we been blessed? Well, what are people taught? They're taught to give cheerfully, generously, and proportionately. That's what we teach. Did y'all get those three? Cheerfully, generously, and proportionally. People should give what they have to give out of what they have to give. Why have we been blessed financially? You've always been cheerful, sacrificial, and generous givers. You always have. You're a generous bunch of people. Another reason, the leaders never handle the money. And, and it's pretty amazing. We've got some things going on with our counters, and Brother Bob's been keeping up with giving for years. And uh, there, Even people that have been around for a while, they, people still don't understand how we handle the money at Maranatha. So I thought today was a good time to, to teach you that. Did you hear me? The, the leaders never handle the money. I mean, occasionally people will give me a check, which is not a big problem. Occasionally somebody will give me cash, and I, I, I man, I don't like getting it in my hand. I don't like it having it in my hand until I can get it to the box. But generally speaking, we never get our hands on the money. The leaders don't. The leaders oversee the budget and the distribution of the money. But they don't get their hands on it. We have a church treasurer who knows and acts like the money belongs to the Lord. Y'all won't believe this, but I've seen some of the, the awfulest things to happen in a church is when a church treasurer thinks the money's theirs and won't cut a check when the deacons or the pastor needs it. I've really seen that happen. They take ownership. Great people who have counted the money and handled the money until it's deposited. Did you know it's got to get from there to the bank? Y'all know that? Y'all know how it happens? Well, for, for years, Nella and Brother Bob have gone back here in this room or over there. Where'd y'all go? That's been too long ago. I can't remember where you went over there. They, they take that box and they go back here and they count the money. And they make out a deposit slip. They know what the deposit's going to be. And <clears throat> Nella has been getting it to the bank. Once it gets to the bank, then Deanna gets the deposit. 
She knows what was deposited, and it matched up with what they're counting. So Nella and, and Brother Bob have, have, have been wonderful, and they took all of this seriously. We've always viewed what we have as belonging to God. What do we have that didn't come from God? Y'all know that scripture in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What, what do you have that wasn't a gift from God? And that would include our finances. Being generous to those in the church, we have. I'm so thankful that we, we support the call. $3,600 a year go to the Howard County Hall call. I'm so thankful that we look at our single women in the church and we try our best not to let them get in a bind. And I think that's exactly what we ought to do. And we're blessed, and I think we're blessed because we've done that. We're also generous to mission work outside the church. There's about $19,000 out of the budget, oh, somewhere in that range, that leaves this church and goes to other people who are trying to advance God's kingdom throughout the world. And I think God's blessed that. And we have safeguards in place to protect the finances of the Lord and those who are handling the money. And we're always, Nella and Bob have done it uh, for years, and now we're making a little bit of change, and Mark Scroggins and uh, Idy are involved. And we're seeing and asking questions or any other safeguards we need to put into place, not only to protect God's money, but to protect them. And that's really what we want to do. So that's because we were talking about greed today, I thought it was a good time to share that with you. I want to close with this. We want to be sure we teach good doctrine in the church, right? You want to be sitting under a good preacher and good doctrine. Amen? But you also want to sit under preachers and teachers who have good practice. You know what a wife hates? is a hypocrite for a husband. You know what really makes children, what's that scripture? Uh, uh, <clears throat> Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go, go well with you and you may enjoy a long life on earth. Do not exasperate your children. Okay, you know how you, men, you know how you exasperate your children? You tell and make them do one thing and you do something different. Set the proper example. We need to do what we do not to be seen, but in obedience to the Lord. We need to tell people how to enter the kingdom of God. We need to teach them to examine themselves and what's this really all been about this morning? We need to be sure that we're not greedy people. Amen? Tom?